Well, good morning and welcome home. Both those of you who are with us live here this morning, those who are watching online via our live stream or maybe watching or listening later on uh, through our website, uh, we are so glad that you're here. If you don't know me, I'm Scott Blount, Associate Minister here at Bureau Christian Church, and it is my privilege today to get to kick off the Man Church series. So buckle up, guys and ladies. I promise you we'll have some goodies for you along the way, too, so don't, don't get too worried, all right? I had somebody before first service go, I don't know, uh, what's this going to do for me? I, well, just hang on and see, all right? So bear with me just for a few minutes, and I'll see if I can make it a little more plain for you. Hey, last weekend, my wife Peggy and I uh, had the opportunity to do a bucket list trip for me. Uh, I will confess, it was absolutely my bucket list, although she decided she enjoyed it fairly well uh, as well. Because you see, we got the opportunity to see Sir Paul McCartney in concert in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, as a child who grew up in the 60s, uh, Beatles, man, that was, that was it right there. And I was always Team Paul, so this was major, major bucket list uh, to be able to do that. But I have to tell you, as cool as that experience was, I had a tremendous time over the weekend because we got to go to the town that I grew up in, Danville, Kentucky. Uh, it's about 30 miles south of Lexington. This picture is a picture of an oak tree that we planted in our front yard 50 years ago. You see what 50 years will do to you, right? Okay. When we planted this sapling, it wasn't as tall as I was at the time. Now, I'm pretty sure that the folks who own that house have a much lower air conditioning bill in the summertime because it shades about half of the house. It was just an amazing time for us. I, I don't have any family in Danville anymore, so we don't get back there very often. So getting to do this was an extra part of the bucket on the bucket list. And in fact, uh, one of the cool parts for that weekend for me was the fact that I got to have lunch with Coach Plummer. Now, Coach E.G. Plummer is, has been the high school track and cross-country coach for decades. He's retired now, but um, he's just a tremendous guy. Just a tremendous guy. And so I got the opportunity to have lunch with Coach Plummer. Peggy took this picture of us uh, after we had eaten. Now, Coach Plummer has influenced the lives of countless boys and girls throughout the, the uh, decades, if you will, as a cross-country coach and a track coach. And not just in running. It, the influence that he's had has been in his godly example to them. Uh, he has loved many, many folks through the years and has poured into them. Now, I've shared before how running and how Coach Plummer helped shape me as a high schooler, and yes, that's me winning the gold in a cross-country regional uh, meet uh, way back in the day. And uh, getting to sit with him for lunch, though, this past weekend, that was definitely another one of those bucket list kind of items for me. You see, uh, Coach told story after story of folks that he has coached through the years, where they are now and what they're doing, what's going on in their lives, and, and it's just, it just amazing. And he told the story about the mom of three guys that he coached back in the day, 
the Shannons, and he still pours into this family today. Now, this is a picture of Coach Plummer with the Shannon guys and their cousin, UK basketball legend Jack Goose Givens. And this picture was taken at a Shannon family reunion a couple of years back because Coach continues to pour in to this family. You see, Coach and his daughter Mandy, who I went to high school with, have season tickets to the University of Kentucky women's basketball games. It's a little harder to get season tickets to the men's game, I understand, but, but they are big women's basketball fans, and so is Mama Shannon. And Mama Shannon uh, got to the point where she no longer was able to get to Lexington to uh, watch the ball games because all of her sons have moved out of the area, so she just didn't have a way to go anymore. And when Coach Plummer found out about this, he called up Mama Shannon and he said, listen, you always have a ride. I will come pick you up. And so now Coach and Mandy and Mrs. Shannon attend all of the women's UK basketball games together. You see, he continues to pour into lives because Coach Plummer lives out his faith in his everyday actions. And he loves and he leads like Jesus. Now, we've all had people who have poured into or are pouring into us. You know, maybe it was our dad, maybe it was a teacher or a coach or a minister or a co-worker, maybe even a neighbor. But I promise you, if we take time to truly take stock of those who have poured into our lives, it will be inspiring. We also need to remember that men are called to lead their families. So we need to help men properly in this adventure called Christian living. And I've got a statistic I want to share with you that just ought to, like, make your mind explode, okay? When men come to Christ first, 93% of the families will follow. If it's the ladies who come to Christ first in their family, it is 17% of the families who will follow. And if it's one of the children who comes to Christ first, a paltry 3.5% of the families will follow in following Christ. I think we can understand without too much you know, brain power needing to be exerted here how important it is for us to pour into men. So Christian men, we need to pour into because the kingdom is at stake here. Now, if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be uh, this morning, just the first couple of verses, and uh, the words will also be up here on the screen. But Paul is writing to a young man that he was pouring into uh, in this letter, and he says this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now, in these couple of verses, we see that Paul is encouraging Timothy to be strong because real men love and lead like Jesus. He's telling Timothy to be strong in grace because real men love and lead like Jesus. And he tells Timothy to be about making disciples and trust that to reliable men because real men love and lead like Jesus. 
Now, I've got a duh statement for you, okay? So hang on so you don't fall off of your seat right now because this is going to be just revolutionary. Are you ready? Jesus is the ultimate real man. Well, duh, right? We read about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 that he did not consider equality with God as something to be held on to, but he humbled himself and became a man. He humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus was a real man. He wasn't afraid to follow what God had in store. We also know that, that Jesus apprenticed as a carpenter under his earthly dad, Joseph. Now, a carpenter back in Jesus' day did more than just woodwork, all right? There may have been some masonry work involved, all kinds of other things, but in any event, one of the job requirements in carpentry back in that day, and I would dare say even today, is the ability to lift heavy things. So Jesus had to have been a pretty strong guy so he could lift heavy things. So he's a man's man. Jesus also was not afraid to switch careers. Around age 30, he changed from being a carpenter to being an itinerant teacher. Now, I, I know there's a lot of us today that are still trying to figure out what we want to be when we grow up. And a lot of us today, I mean, it is, it is absolutely normal in our culture today for adults to change careers two, three, even four times over the course of their lifetime. Jesus gets that. He gets that. He changed his career. Now, Jesus set a great example for us in everything, obviously, but in how he poured into others, Jesus is the ultimate real man as well, isn't he? I mean, he poured into large crowds. We read in the gospel accounts of at least a couple of different occasions where he fed 4,000 men plus women and children and 5,000 men plus women and children after he had spent time teaching. So he was right there in the large crowds, man. Large crowds, that was just part of it. That's what you do. And he poured into them. He also poured into some smaller groups of folks. And I don't know that 72 is necessarily a small group, but compared with 5,000, it's, it's smaller. Okay? But we read in the gospel accounts that Jesus instructed 72 men to go out on his behalf and to do some mission work. And then there's Jesus' life group. We've probably grown up hearing about the 12 apostles. That was Jesus' life group. He did life with them for three years, pouring into these men so that they would, at the right time, be able to pour in to others. Even amongst the life group, Jesus had an inner circle, didn't he? There were the three, Peter, James, and John. And we read a couple different occasions where just the three of them are hanging out with Jesus. We don't even know where the rest of them were. It doesn't matter. They weren't there. One such occasion uh, was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And we can read about that in Matthew chapter 17, in Mark chapter 9, and again in Luke chapter 9. And I want to read with you just a little bit from the, the passage at Luke uh, chapter 9, starting in verse 29. As he, Jesus, was praying, the appearance of his face changed, 
and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which uh, he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. Time out. I've noticed a couple of different, on a couple of different occasions when Peter, James, and John are hanging out with Jesus, they're sleepy. I don't know what that has to say about those guys other than the fact that they should have gone to bed earlier the night before. You know, they're always sleepy when they're hanging out with Jesus. I don't, I don't get that. I, maybe that's the precedent that's been set for us men in church. Um, uh, I don't know. So, sorry. Uh, it just struck me as, as funny when I was reading it. So, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And the men were, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So Peter, James, and John were in on a secret with Jesus. They didn't tell anybody else at that time. I mean, we find out about it after Jesus has resurrected. But they were the inner circle. And the, so Jesus poured into the large crowd. He poured into smaller groups. He poured into the inner circle. He also poured into the one-on-one. -on -one. John, the apostle, identifies himself in his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That doesn't mean Jesus didn't love the other guys, okay? What it means is John had the privilege of some special one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus being poured into by our Lord and Savior. So, there's the example of Jesus. How about Paul? Remember Paul, the, uh, the great missionary of the first century? He traveled around and, and taught in churches, and, you know, he poured into these guys on this large group. But before that, Paul was known as Saul of Tarsus, and he was the great persecutor of the church. In fact, he was on his way to Damascus with a letter of approval from the Jewish religious leaders to go and take care of some of these followers of Jesus in that city. And by take care of, I mean arrest or kill. And he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. He is blinded by this encounter. He's led by the hand into the city where a couple of days later he meets this guy named Ananias who tells him what Jesus has in mind for him. He is baptized into Christ, and then he goes off and spends some one-on-one -on -one time with the resurrected Jesus, being instructed and poured into by him to prepare him to be the missionary that he would become in that first century. And I believe that amongst the things that happened because of that one-on-one -on -one time was that Paul was able to write very boldly to the church at Corinth in this statement found in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. So what pattern did Paul follow? He followed the pattern of Christ. Because real men love and lead like Jesus.
Now, as I have said, Paul traveled and taught in many churches, so he was in the large group setting. Paul, in his travels, was always accompanied by small groups of people. So he was in the small group settings as well. In fact, when Paul wrote his letters to the churches, and we see that throughout the New Testament, you can find in almost every one of those letters a listing of names of people who are sending their greetings to the church along with Paul because they're traveling with Paul and ministering with him. He is pouring into small groups of people. And then Paul poured into the one-on-ones as well, including Timothy. You know, we're taking a look at, at the second Timothy, a letter that he has written to him uh, today. Timothy is one of those guys that he poured into. And what did he encourage Timothy to do? To pour into others, both at the large group, the small group, and the individual level. Why? Because Paul knew that real men love and lead like Jesus. Now, at VCC, we, design, we assign discipleship, we define it this way. A Christian helping someone love Jesus more so they both become more like Jesus. Now, that definition packs a punch, folks. We are asking Christ followers to help people love Jesus more. And men, this is where we need you. We need you to step up and love your families well because it starts right there, man. It starts with our families. Last week, I had the opportunity to read an excellent article uh, by a guy by the name of Dane Tyner. He's the founder and director of Home Improvement Ministries in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm going to ask that you bear with me as I read that article to you. Tyner writes, Like knowing who the woman at the well is, another sign of basic biblical literacy is knowing the Proverbs 31 woman. She is that superwoman of Solomon's last proverb who inspires some women, intimidates many others, and irritates still others. She is not a real woman. She is the ideal woman. A real woman can get tired just reading about her. No wonder so many women internally cringe at her mention. Who is this superwoman? She is the wife of noble character who is worth far more than rubies. She is wise and virtuous and vigorously industrious. She is a servant par excellence. She blesses not only her family, but her community as well. We all know her, but let's look briefly at the man in the text. The Proverbs 31 man, her husband. The text tells us, that her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all, we read in verse 28. The text does not tell us what her husband does. We only know that he sits as a respected party among the leaders at the city gate. The proverb ends with this statement, let her works bring her praise at the city gate. And who is at the city gate to praise her? Her husband. I suspect that most Proverbs 31 women are joined to a Proverbs 31 man, a man who blesses her and praises her. He speaks well to her and about her. I believe a logical link exists between these two people. He is successful 
at least in part because of her manifold excellence, and her excellence is fueled by his affirmations. Gentlemen, if you want to be successful, if you want a Proverbs 31 woman, be a Proverbs 31 man. Encourage and praise your wife. Bless her with your words and actions. Don't curse her with either. Speak well of her when you are around your buddies, work associates, and others. With your words, you have the power to refuel her or further deplete the dwindling resources of her life. Beware of breaking her already bruised reed and extinguishing her smoldering wick. Jesus would see Matthew 12, 20. Beware of silence, too. Don't assume she knows you appreciate her. You may have prided yourself in being the strong, silent type. Proverbs 31 men are the strong, verbal type. Adjust. Indeed, sometimes great strength is required in order to be silent. However, at other times, the strength is required to speak. God can give you the strength for either challenge. Now, the natural dynamics of relationships give you abundant opportunities to choose which you will do. Speak up or be silent. Bless or curse. Praise or complain. Build up or tear down. Energize or drain her remaining energy. Choose well. Finally, if your Proverbs 31 woman seems a few chapters behind, address it openly, honestly, and kindly with her. If that doesn't work well, talk to your pastor or godly counselor. Whatever you do, don't bellyache at the city gate. And remember, the most important issue is to make sure you are not a few chapters behind. Be a Proverbs 31 man. Man. I think Tyner hits the nail on the head, guys. Real men love and lead like Jesus. Pour into your family. And that includes your church family, too, guys. The challenge is pouring into others as Christ has poured into you. For many of you, being part of a large group is the easiest way to pour into others. It is far less personal and way less vulnerable. However, Christian living is not for the faint of heart. Large group settings certainly have their place. And it's vital for us to all be active parts of a large group following Christ. But the challenge is pouring into others as Christ has poured into you. Now, life groups provide an opportunity for you to pour into a smaller number of folks. Are you actively involved in a life group? Are you pouring into the lives of just a few other folks? Are you pouring into an individual? You hold the key to perhaps helping another man become a man who loves and leads like Jesus. Men, you are called by Christ to pour into others, starting with your family and spreading throughout your church family. Men, just as Coach Plummer has poured into lives of folks using the God-given talents he has regarding track and field, each of you have God-given talents that other men desperately need. Realize that you have much to offer for the kingdom of Christ. Your discipleship of other men may not come in formal teaching settings. Maybe it's helping somebody with handyman work and teaching them that. Or maybe it's mechanical work. 
or maybe it's running or some other kind of physical exercise. Um, maybe it's in computer skills or the arts. I mean, the list goes on and on. You get it. You got it. And others need it. So pour into others in the name of Jesus. We are all called to pour into others, men and women. We're all called to pour into others. This call is not for the faint of heart. We need to identify, identify groups of people, small groups, and even individuals that we will pour into. It means we must make ourselves vulnerable, men. We must be strong in grace, realizing that pouring into others means they will become vulnerable as well. It means we will experience heartache along with great joy. Vulnerability means being willing to pick at the emotional and the spiritual and maybe even the physical scabs in our lives. It's not easy by any means, but in so doing, it means we will only be doing that which Christ has called us to do, discipling someone else, enhancing the kingdom of Christ, encouraging other men to do the same. It means we, too, will live our lives being able to proclaim, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, as we wrap up this morning, I want to encourage you to list the names of people who have poured or are pouring into your life. Just make that list. And then in this coming week, take some time and thank one or all of them. Let them know how much you appreciate them. And while you're praying about that, pray about who it is that you are going to pour into and then put feet on those prayers because real men love and lead like Jesus. It's the only natural response, guys, to the fact that Jesus has poured into us. Now, following Christ is not for the faint of heart. It's not. And we're going to examine that notion just a little bit more next Sunday. Please pray with me. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the love that you have poured into us. Help us to be men and women who will pour into others, loving and leading like Jesus. God, forgive us for the times when we uh, come to you with all kinds of excuses, because there are no excuses. There are people all around us who need the expertise that we have in whatever that field may be. So may we lead and love just like Jesus would. And we ask this all in his precious name. Amen.